Hey. We've all heard about the climate crisis. Some people are taking action. While some people have their heads in the sand. Hurricane Maria slamming into the island and as- At least 25 wildfires are burning across California alone. There is no man-made climate change. I don't think science knows, actually. Where's the proof? That's where we come in. You're listening to House on Fire, a podcast about the climate crisis where we bring those leading the fight to you. We're two activists coming to you from Ground Zero, Miami, Florida, sharing the facts so you can become informed and engaged in this movement. I'm JP. And I'm Gabby. Welcome to House on Fire. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to episode one of season two. We are right around the corner from arguably one of the most monumental elections ever. Gabby, how do you feel? Yeah, um, I'm a little bit worried, but I just want to know what's going to happen already. How about you? Yeah, I mean, the stakes are really high. Um, I just turned 18, so I'm happy to be voting in this election for the first time. And I've been out protesting on the streets for the past two years because I haven't had the power to vote. And now it feels like I have this inkling more of power and I'm ready to use it. Totally. And it's definitely not a small inkling. It's a whole lot of power. And more and more young people are realizing that. But we still have to get more people to the polls this November. And you know who's really good at doing that? Our guest today, Saad Amer, he is actually the founder of Plus One Vote. And he's a climate and social justice activist. Before we jump into it, this episode is sponsored by Alliance for Climate Education, otherwise known as ACE, a wonderful nonprofit educating young people on the science of climate change and empowering them to take action. Let's do it. So, Saad, with literally two weeks left until a monumental election, how are you feeling? Like there's only two weeks left until a monumental <laughs> election. Like, how are we all feeling? Oh my God. Like, it's it's sort of like this feeling of, okay, like, let's hurry up. Like, let's get this going. Like, I, I want the results now. And also, oh my God, there's only two weeks. Like, we got to organize every event, get all these voters all across the country so, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. the same way. JP and I, we talk about this and it's, it's weird. Like, I'm sort of dreading the day, but I also need to know, like, what's going to happen already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But you mentioned mobilizing people. And that's like the thing that I've also been focusing a lot on the last month and a half, like mm. connecting my climate work to mobilizing people to vote in, uh, you know, in November and getting people mm-hmm. registered early. So that's obviously a huge part of your work. Um, It's one of the main reasons we have you on today. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you ended up working and mobilizing people for climate? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. Excited to be here with you guys. Um, Love the work that you guys do at the Clio Institute and love ACE, the Alliance for Climate Education. So huge shout out to all y'all people who are out here doing the amazing work with, with our environment. Um, you know, for me, I've been organizing on climate since I was 13. So it goes way back before climate activism was even really a, a thing that you could do. Um, you know, I started my freshman year in high school working in my local community. My high school um, made this giant local land preserve, a hundred acre preserve right by my school. I sort of uh, took that over as a steward and created this big education program, bust out thousands of students from across Long Island to learn about nature 
ecosystems, climate, the local environment. And it, it really just became this thing that I, I loved doing. And, you know, over the course of the years thereafter, I had this opportunity, I had many opportunities to work on climate in many different ways. I've gotten to work on the ground in the Himalayas in India wow. with communities that were directly, you know, currently facing the brunt of climate impacts. I've gotten to work at the UN and, you know, work on policy on a global level and, you know, lobby Congress and fight for stronger protections for for climate here in America. And I just found consistently at every single level um, there was this consistent obstacle of these bonehead politicians who just did not want to do anything, you know, and they were just kind of fine with <laughs> with doing the least on this. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. This is why? Because of all y'all? Uh-uh. This is not cool. That's <laughs> really what started me on all this get out the vote stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, now we're at this, like, crossroads of an election. And... With everything that you're mentioning, all the work that you do, I mean, which is brilliant. And we're probably going to ask more about that because I heard Himalayas in there. Um, what's at stake in this election when it comes to the climate or beyond that, too? I think really everything is at stake in this election, right? Like if you look at how divided our political parties are right now and how opposite they are in what they're proposing or just completely entirely trying not to propose and just dodge questions, things are, are pretty polarized, right? So we see the future of climate policy is at stake, the future of justice for black and brown communities, social justice is at stake, the future of a woman's right to choose is at stake, the future of our courts, the future of voting rights, the future of healthcare, all these giant monumental things that have been being worked on for the past few decades are really now at a crossroads for us to all go and decide what do we want to happen? What is the outcome of, of this stuff? Mm -hmm. Are we gonna continue complaining and tweeting or are we gonna show up and mobilize and vote to decide what the outcome on all of these major issues is? Yeah, 100%. And I, you know, it's interesting because the way you talk about voting is like how obviously the majority of people feel about it. Like it is our chance in this country to voice our opinion and, and get what we want happening. Mm -hmm. But there are, there's definitely a debate and I'm sure you've seen it too, or maybe not a debate, but sort of a divide even within climate activism where, you know, we can all agree that voting is how we can change the path of our future, but some people, you know, feel a little bit disengaged from voting. They feel like, you know, it's definitely not a fix-all solution. Why should I vote? I'm not happy with either candidate. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to hear more about why, regardless of that, we kind of have to set some of those feelings aside. And why do we have to realize that voting is a form of climate action? Like, where where is the evidence for that? How? Why is it a direct way to put us on the climate path? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Climate is going to be determined by this election. Voting, like you said, voting is a climate action. And I really want to emphasize that because, you know, I've seen environmental groups spend literally millions and millions of dollars and have personally gone into Congress and different, you know, local offices lobbying for different environmental policies and being consistently met with these politicians who were just never going to pass any of it, right? Mm -hmm. So spending months and months and years of all this research and putting together proposals. And then you get to these politicians who at the end of the day don't care or are bought out by fossil fuel companies and are not actively thinking about the planet for a future where, frankly, they're too old and they're not going to be living on. 
And so, you know, when we really think about the reality of how climate is tied to voting, um, I want to be clear, there's no one candidate that's going to fix mm-hmm. everything. Yes. Right? Like, this is not just about the presidency. Obviously, that's a major part of it. But, you know, even looking at the, at the candidates on the presidential level, we know exactly who these people are. We know who is going to listen to people on the ground and be reactive and, you know, make their policy proposals stronger. And we know who is going to continue to ignore what the people are saying and advocating for. And when we look even beyond that at, you know, our local levels, our Congress, those people all too determine what happens on climate policy. And so for not going out there and voting for those people, then you know who's going to go out and vote? Other people who don't care about climate. Yeah. And those are going to end up being the people that get elected. And then we're going to have, we're going to be all, oh my God, the IPC said this in 10 years, whatever, 2030, 2050, when we're going to be baked in with these politicians who frankly don't care. So if we're not voting, then don't expect any of it to change. What you're seeing now from a pandemic to social justice riots to a lack of action on climate change, it ain't going to change at any level. So we have to get out and vote if that is a future that we actively want to push for. So, yeah, I really resonated with what you said um, specifically about, you know, like there's never going to be one person, one candidate who is going to bring us to the future or world that we need. And that sort of hones in on something else and and why voting is a form of climate action, but it's not the end of the road. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the baby stepped on the path towards towards um, climate justice, really. And, you know, we as young people, um, you know, face this narrative, this overused narrative all the time that we're lazy and that we're disengaged and that we don't get up off our asses to go do anything. But I mean, that's just false, you know, like throughout history, anywhere, all massive movements for change on historical levels have been led by young people. And it makes me think of how vote shaming is ineffective and how we should be talking to people in terms of mobilizing. Have you dealt with any of this in your work? Oh, absolutely. I get that all the time. And, you know, I think the biggest irony of this whole idea of oh, young people are lazy and, you know, don't get off their butts and are just kind of sitting at home all day. And then you look at the world right now and you see that that's exactly what's happening with literally everybody because the adults failed to (laughs) contain a massive global pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then y'all are going to try and blame us for this. Uh Uh-uh! Like, I think there is so many, there are so many efforts consistently that try and blame young people for a lack of being engaged. But the reality is, first of all, Give us a reason to be engaged. Give us politicians who give a damn and are actively fighting for our futures and who are not being bought out by corporate interests and who are giving platforms to young people to be able to engage in the process. You know, give us give us leaders who care and, you know, give us also a decent education. Why isn't civics taught at every single level across this country? Why are we just suddenly expected to turn 18, magically expect to understand these massive obstacles that there are for registering to vote across the country where we have states that are inconsistent and how they even have their voter registration processes and then just like jump through all these hoops at every level to be able to figure out these long lines, early voting, whatever, all these inconsistencies across the country. And then then it's all our fault right then of yeah. course yeah. it's all the fault of young people like yeah okay thank you uncle like really really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't understand how it always comes back down to us for being our fault um when 
honestly, young people are, are, like you said, leading. And we are doing a lot. We are striking. We are mobilizing. We are getting out the votes. But, you know, I think at some level, the older generations have to do their part, too. Agreed. And like going off of that, the other day I was helping mm-hmm. a friend understand his ballot and I was explaining to him one of the amendments on Florida's ballot and he was understanding it. And he was like, wow, I didn't even know this was like a thing that existed. The fact that Florida is a closed mm-hmm. primary state. And I was like, do you do you know what open primary even means like versus closed primary? And, and he didn't, which is fine. And it's not his fault. Mm-hmm. It's like exactly what you're saying. There is very, there's very poor education here on civics. And Mm-hmm. That's really one of the largest reasons why people are so disengaged, especially young people. And that also connects to like the fear that a lot of young people have when it comes to voting, where they're like, actually, I don't want to vote because I don't want to look stupid. Like, I have no idea what mm-hmm. I'm voting for. But I actually heard you say on a podcast the other day about how like, <laughs> yeah, these people might be, you might feel like you don't know what you're voting for. But remember that there are hundreds of thousands of people going to vote that don't even know what they're voting for either. But they're doing it regardless. <laughs> And, and that's that's scary. Like, that's exactly why we need to go out and educate ourselves, unfortunately, about all of this and go and vote as young people. It's true. Like, I was helping a friend with their ballot the other day as well, who uh, is a California voter, you know. And, and this is a friend who at first was like, oh, why do I need to register to vote? I'm from California. You know, obviously everything goes blue. It's fine because, you know, that's what they believe in. And I was like, okay, but the reality is, you know, it's not just red and blue, right? There are all sorts of shades of red, blue, purple all across this country, one. Two is the reality that, you know, in California, there are so many propositions where you literally directly vote for what the law will be in California. Like you personally get to decide what those laws are based on what's on your ballot. And they were like, oh, I didn't know that all of this stuff was that you could even vote for this type of stuff, you know? And so I think the way we have our discourse on elections, where it's so focused on just the presidency, is a massive, massive disservice to the American public. Because what it does is it makes people feel like, oh, it's just between these two. Maybe you're not happy with either. And then you don't go up and vote when there are all of these other things at stake that you directly get to decide what happens, you know? And, And so when we have this lack of civic education, it then turns into a lack of people educating themselves because uh, they don't even know that there's something to educate themselves on. So yeah. if you're at home listening to this literally right now, you can go to plusonecampaign.org slash resources. Right there, you can find a sample ballot for, for yourself. Just type in your mm-hmm. address and you can find a sample ballot for literally exactly what's going to be on your ballot from the candidates, any propositions from, you know, presidency to your local, you know, city council or whatever. And do that research of what what are you voting for? Who's there? And especially if you're getting your absentee ballot, like y'all make a cup of chai, have some coffee, you know, just sit down and do some research for 15, 20 minutes as you're as you're filling out your ballot. And you'll just be so much more informed and be able to also educate the friends around you of what they should do uh, when it comes to voting for these candidates that, especially on a local level, often go unnoticed. Yeah, no, and I mean, I feel that. And like, you know, voting really exercises a power in a way that organizing does too, in which large numbers are able to scare people. You know, like a, a friend once told me this and I'll like, I, you know, I keep this in mind up to this day. If you go to like a town hall meeting and three people show up with the same t-shirt, the commission or the city mm-hmm. council is going to pay attention. You got 20 people mm-hmm. show up in, in the same shirts. They're going to shit themselves. And it's oh, kind yeah. of that same idea when it comes to voting, right? Like 
in California, for example, yeah, we got Mr. Mr. Governor Blue or whatever. If you're a Democrat, you might side with him too. But at the same time, while all these wildfires are kind of raging on, you've got this guy lending out fracking permits all the time now. And it really hones in on that aspect of like, you can ask for more and you can Mm. really drive in home your power to ask leaders, regardless of whatever side of the aisle that they're on, that they're not doing enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. And we've talked so much about being activated and mobilizing other people Mm -hmm. and, and why young voters are disengaged, which is all extremely important. But let's backtrack a little bit and talk about why we're even having this conversation today, right? Like, what is mm-hmm. at stake? For you, what's the first thing that comes to your head? I mean, when I think about climate policy, right? Because from the beginning, that was always my my passion. I think about the facts, right? Like, straight up facts. Let's talk about the IPCC, right? The world's like leading foremost expert body on climate. Makes it very clear that we have to reduce our carbon emissions essentially in half from 2020 to 2030. That's a 10-year time horizon, and that's literally right now. We're already not doing it. We're already not on a path that will put us toward a sustainable, livable planet. And so if we are unable to achieve those reductions in our emissions, we will continue to see these global calamities across the country, across the world, with our environment, right? And and I think, you know, you look outside and, and it's clear to us right now. Like the other day, like a couple of weeks ago, my brother who lives in San Francisco is sending me orange sky photos in, mm. you know, right outside his window. Can't go outside because the air is unbreathable. Uh, you know, I here on Long Island lost power a few weeks back as a result of a, a major storm when we had those series of storms that are still, you know, hitting the United States from the south and across the east coast um, and lost power for days. The irony of I was literally trying to address climate policy and then boom, wow. there yeah. there comes a storm that like takes away my ability to even get on the internet. Um, yeah. And so... That is what's at stake, right? It is the reality that our climate is becoming more unstable, less livable, and we are doing virtually nothing yeah. to reduce those emissions to mitigate this crisis. No, and I feel that, and I, I like deeply read that's. I mean, when I think of what's at stake in this election, I think of the same thing. I think of the fact that we mm-hmm. have ten years to absolutely transform our economy, the way we live, in order to avert catastrophe, and. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason that we like really think about this as what's at stake is not because like, you know, we're a bunch of tree huggers in this room on mics that are like passionate about green stuff. No, this is about real people and their lives. And climate connects to absolutely every other single issue on the ballot. You know, like during in a past episode, we were on with Bill Weir, um, really cool guy. Love. And he said mm-hmm. he said something like right now we live with this attitude that climate change is a menu item on the ballot and it's not it's the whole restaurant from healthcare mm-hmm. to how we handle this pandemic climate embodies science-based urgency and solutions that we need in order to live and if mm-hmm. we don't start listening to it and put it at the level of urgency that it needs that's blood on the hands of our government that's pretty much it. So I think that that's at stake too, Gabby. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that 
a lot of people who are listening to this who maybe are very involved with the climate movement might actually mm -hmm. agree, but also be like, okay, totally get that. But one person is not going to put us um, on that green energy economy that we want. So how is voting going to work? And I think that's a message that we have to continue to get out, especially over the next few weeks that, yes, we understand the candidate's not going to fix the entire problem, but that is the person who's going to be open to working with us. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And, and it also goes to, right, like maybe one person won't fix everything, but one person or a couple of people can absolutely derail the entire conversation mm -hmm. entirely. Right. And that's what we've seen really since the beginning of our understanding of the climate crisis was just a couple of people consistently trying to derail any sort of regulations or environmental protections or, or literally any sort of progress on the issue. And here we are decades later, having accomplished virtually nothing and in fact, moving backwards. Right. Yeah. And so maybe one person won't save us. It's going to take a lot of us to take action on this crisis for sure. Yeah. But but continuing to have people who aren't taking action is no longer feasible because, you know, we're looking at this crisis. People across the world are already dying as a result of climate. I also want to emphasize the reality that this is impacting black and brown communities globally the most. And so when we talk about these issues of social justice here in the United States, it's so important that we also understand that the climate crisis is also a social racial justice issue too, because those are the communities, my own communities, that are the ones that are facing the brunt of this crisis. Yes, yes, exactly. Like I was on that, I was on a live stream a few weeks ago, one that you hosted with the Alliance for Climate Education. And they asked mm -hmm. me, why are you voting this year? And I said, I'm mm -hmm. voting for the people and the places that I love because I don't see this anymore as an issue of, oh, flowers and polar bears and, and you know, my ocean, I love the beach. It's, it's literally what you said. Mm -hmm. Like, it is for the future of our health and safety and our communities. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that I do think more people, especially, of course, young people are realizing this. But regardless, we mm -hmm. need to mobilize them to the polls. So how do we go about doing that, especially with young people that are maybe passive about it? How do we mobilize them and get them to realize that, whether you like the candidate or not, you really should go vote. I think for me, with all the work that I've been doing for the past couple of years, it starts with one central question. Who's your plus one? Who is the one person that you are going to register to vote? Who is the one person that you're going to bring with you to the polls? The onus on taking action in this democracy is on us. Right. Like if we're not the ones that are actively out here advocating in our communities, talking to other young people, I don't see these older politicians, you know, really getting out to us. I don't really see that many effective modes of communications to black and brown communities. That's on us. Should we have to take that responsibility? And is it a burden? Absolutely. But if we don't take up that duty and don't take that action, things aren't going to change and they're not going to change in our favor. They're not going to change in favor of a livable planet, of a livable future. And so we have to be the ones taking in that responsibility and reaching out to those around us. In many ways, you know, we all have those people in our lives where we're the only ones who can reach them, right? Like for me, my real plus ones are my mom and dad. They weren't voting yeah. before I started my voting organization. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and having that conversation brought them out, you know, and really even people in my community, my neighbors are now actively like, oh my God, how do I get an absentee ballot? Or where do I drop this off? And, and 
going forward and asking those questions, right? And I think that's how we activate people is really by having those conversations. And sometimes it's a tweet, sometimes it's a TikTok or a Instagram. Cool, I'm down for it. I don't, you know, I think a lot of people trivialize those types of actions, but they are important and they do take action and raise awareness with the people directly around you. There's a reason why brands pay like millions of dollars to try and get, you know, celebrities and young yeah. people to yeah. post about this stuff. I remember there was this um, Madonna advertisement, like, I don't know, so many years back. Icon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it was like a voting thing, but it was, it was so weird. It was like, you know, oh, like, like there's just this ton of messaging about like getting young people out to vote where like they try making it cool in the Madonna mm-hmm. ad. It was like a weird horny thing. I don't even know, but <laughs> I think what you're saying matters the most because that plus one you know it really brings home the point that when you're trying to convince someone to do something it's not about how you say it it's the fact that the messenger matters and yes we are able to build power through personal connections and community right and that brings me to the point that like that's the same thing you do when you're organizing. When you're organizing, you're building community. When you take out to the streets and bring out the people you love and fight for them and yell and make signs and do whatever, you're doing it for the power of a community. So I wanna take a second to talk about what you're able to do beyond the ballot or if you don't have access to the ballot um, to to act. What, what What have you found yourself doing or what have you found others doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a role for everybody in this democracy and beyond the election, right? Like when when organizing with Plus One Vote, you know, we've had people who are lead organizers that are TikTok influencers. And actually, literally yesterday, we launched a giant TikTok campaign, like hundreds of thousands of views already of all these people out there making TikToks to get out the vote painting vote on their faces. You know, I think there is a role for you in this country, whether you are an artist, whether you are a nurse, whether you are a climate activist, whatever it is, everyone has a skill that they can contribute to the movement to push it forward. And right now we're looking at a time where we all do have to do something extra. What we're doing is not enough and we we have to keep pushing. And looking beyond the election, you know, this one election isn't going to save us. There isn't Mm -hmm. one politician that's going to save everything, right? And I think no one knows that more than, you know, the black and brown communities that have been coming Mm -hmm. out to vote for years, but, you know, have consistently been uh, disenfranchised in many ways. And so it's important that we understand that we have to keep on pushing, we have to keep on marching and, you know, keep on developing more innovative solutions. Maybe it's something in policy, you know, maybe it is organizing a march in your local community. Maybe it's going and talking to your local officials. Like the reality is, I think with a lot of this stuff, some people are like intimidated. Oh, I don't know everything. I don't know everything on my ballot. I don't know if I should vote. I don't know everything about this climate policy issue. I don't know if I should try and even figure out how to set up a meeting with these local officials. I want to be clear in that like, our officials, our government officials aren't that smart. Like I have met with basically (laughs) every level of government from across the world. They ain't that smart. And, And they don't have all the answers either. That's in part why we're in this crisis is because mm-hmm. they don't know what to do. And so we we in many ways have to go out and tell them yeah. and advocate and organize. And that's how those solutions trickle up 
and happen. Yeah. And I feel like young people have a very honed in skill at doing that because mm -hmm. we don't, we're not developed to the point where the bureaucracy and over complexity of the modern adult world is ingrained in us. We still see things in creative ways and ways that are very simple. You either mm -hmm. care about life on earth and stop accepting corporate money from the fossil fuel industry and take on climate action, or you don't. It's as simple mm -hmm. as that. There's no further reasons beyond that. I think that's a particularly great power that young people have to see things for what they mm -hmm. are. And I think that's especially been called forward with the youth climate movement. I know what I'm doing after the elections. I mean, I, besides my work on, on House on Fire, I work with Sunrise and we're gearing up for whoever's inauguration it is. And I think that's really what it comes down to, speaking truth to power. Yeah, and I think that jumping off of what JP said, when we talk about the fact that we have to continue going beyond the ballot, it actually in a way gives me hope that mm. if whether things go the way we want to or not for this election, like we still have the opportunity to change what we need to be on the right path for climate action. And I think that is a really positive and hopeful way of looking at it. Yes, do your part, go out to vote. If you can't vote, you have a role in this democracy to have the conversations with other people. And if for some reason you're not going to vote, there is still so much work to do after the election. No, it's true. And I think that, you know, when we when we look at the powers that be, they are powerful, right? Like there are billion dollar corporations, literal billionaires funding elections all across this country, trying to buy out people's votes, trying to essentially brainwash people through ads, through disinformation, through whatever it is. These forces are powerful and they are becoming more powerful. And the only way we can stop that is by organizing, right? And like with Sunrise, I love the work that y'all do. I have partnered with you guys for many different things. Um, it's so important that there that we do continue to fight and organize regardless of what happens. This is an uphill fight for like for the next many, many, many years because of the way we've set up the system in America, because of the way that people, that we are ignoring public opinion, right? Like you look at every public opinion poll on, on climate or on even any major social issue, whether it be gun violence, whatever. The majority of Americans want action on these issues. Yeah. Just point blank. That is the yeah. case across the board for Democrats and Republicans. And yet we're continuing to ignore that. And the real way we fight that isn't by guzzling in billions and billions of dollars of corporate funds. It's from people power. It's from people yes. just like us organizing, using our voices, be it on a podcast, on our social media, or just on a one-to-one -one conversation at dinner. Mm -hmm. That's the people power that will push this forward because without that, it isn't going to change. It's not going to change. Totally. 100% people power. Time to dismantle. Time to get some change in. And we're super excited to see it coming in November. It's going to happen. And there's it's, a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work happen. to do, but it will happen. And part of it is thanks to the work that you do, Saad. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. Super excited by all the energy that you guys have been putting into this movement. And, you know, we got to keep on pushing because we got to keep on voting. We got to, you know, make sure everyone knows October 24th, National Early Vote Day. 
Make sure you're getting out and voting early. It is available to the vast majority of Americans in almost every state. So make sure you look up your local voting locations for early voting. They tend to be different than your typical polling place. So make sure you're voting. Make sure you're voting early. And remember that November 3rd is the last day to vote. The election mm-hmm. is happening now. So you can awesome. cast your ballot yeah. likely wherever you are. So let's keep on voting. Getting those plus ones, fam. Yes. yes. All right. So this episode was powered by the Alliance for Climate Education, or ACE, who educates young people on the science of climate change and empowers them to take action across the country. You can check them out at www.acepace.org and visit their Enough campaign at enough2020.org. Thanks so much for listening to House on Fire, a youth-led climate podcast supported by the Clio Institute. You can find us on Instagram at House on Fire Podcast, Twitter at House on Fire Pod, and continue to listen to us on all your favorite platforms for podcasts.